Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to episode five of GCSE English Revision Pod. I am here with Mr. Forster. However, I did have a bit of a scare earlier. When I went into your room, sir, I um, was expecting to see you stood tall, upright and proud as usual. And instead, you seem to have been replaced by this sort of caveman-like, awful, troglodytic figure who was sort of scratching around and uh, causing general mayhem. What was that about? Very cruel. Uh, just that time of term, sir. Thank you very much. That's, that's just the way you're looking at the moment. That's it not is, uh, that's not a Jekyll and Hyde S transformation. No transformation. Uh, well, that's good. That's a, that's a great relief. Um, we are, as you can probably guess from that introduction, going to be looking again at Jekyll and Hyde today. But before uh, we get into that, the first thing to tell you is we have an email address now through which you can contact us and let us know anything that you would like us to record a podcast on. So our email address is englishrevisionpod at gmail.com. That's englishrevisionpod at gmail.com. And as we say, anything that you would like, any particular questions or areas of the course you would like us to go over, drop us an email and we will do our best to have a look at them. All right, would you like to get into today's question, Sam? Yeah, so today we're looking at an extract from Jekyll and Hyde from Chapter 4, The Carry Murder Case. Um, in this extract, Utherson and Inspector Newcomen have come to find Mr Hyde at his lodging after the murder of Sir Danvers Carry. Very good. So as always, we will put this question up in the uh, in the biography of the podcast that people can download. Just for people who aren't able to do that, this extract starts with the words in the whole extent of the house and finishes with completed his gratification. So it's right at the end of chapter four. Absolutely. So the question we're going to be looking at is starting with this extract, explore the significance of place in strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now that sounds like quite a difficult question to me. Yeah, it seems difficult until you realise, of course, that place in the novel is incredibly important. It gains a real significance. So London of Stevenson's novel is this nightmarish place, this labyrinth of streets where even a monster like Hyde can disappear. It's a city of fog, of darkness. But the places we need to focus on in this essay, I think, are, can really be divided into two. Okay. There is Jekyll's house, which comes to be a symbol of the man himself with its cosy, inviting rooms concealing out the back. This separate, um, this separate space, this... this uh, this cabinet. Just to be absolutely clear about that, because it's quite confusing when read in the book sometimes. Jekyll's house is this big, warm Victorian place in the middle of the townhouse. Yeah. His townhouse. And then connected to it is this cold scientific laboratory. Yeah, which that is opens onto a back alley. And um, that's the door, of course, that we originally see Hyde disappear into at in the start of the novella. In chapter one. Um, so that's the first setting we're going to be looking at today. The second place, I think, is Hyde's lodging house in Soho. And this is, of course, the extract that we're looking at today. Um, one quick contextual point is, of course, that Soho is a district long associated with crime in the Victorian period mm. and indeed with prostitution, and specifically in the late Victorian period with child prostitution. So this is a place that's associated with crime, with 
immorality. Mm. And is it any surprise, therefore, this is where we should find Hyde? It's a bad area of town. And it seems to make complete sense that we find Hyde there. However, I think the first point that you're going to make is that when we are taken into Hyde's house, when um, Inspector Newcomen and Utterson have gone across town chasing Hyde after the murder of Danvers Carew, when they go inside, they find... A, a place that's very different to what you'd expect Hyde's house to look like. Yeah, I think the crucial thing is that inside, although despite the associations of Soho, inside this house um, is something that's very incongruous with this troglodytic, misbegotten creature with this ape-like fury that's beaten to death. Oh, right, there's a carry. whole load of words in there, sir, that I'm going to pull you up on. So first of all, OK, what does incongruous mean? So incongruous means they don't fit. It doesn't fit. So okay. we've seen this um, image of Hyde as this abnormal, disturbing bestial creature mm-hmm. and yet here the place in which he lives as we're going to analyse in a moment is filled with sophistication right it's the last thing you'd expect to see if you're this if you're this policeman chasing Hyde across town Utterson's thinking finally we've got him you know finally we've got evidence this is the creature's this. lair exactly right you're expecting to find the inside of some terrible house of horrors cave and instead they find somewhere yeah. what quite we, nice what we find is a place that's furnished with luxury and good taste mm. that has wine silver plate elegant napery um, a good picture on the wall, carpets of many plies that were agreeable in colour. So that's the that's the quotations you're guiding your students towards. You're thinking this this language from the semantic field of luxury. Yeah. Anything that sounds kind of cultured, Victor- what Victorians would consider high class, seems strange at this moment in time. Yeah, it's because even even the assumption that the picture was, of course, a gift from. Um, from Jekyll doesn't explain at this point the elegant furnishings. No, it's more than just a picture. It's not because if you had a horrible room with just one nice picture in it, that would be a horrible room with a nice picture in it. But here, you've got actually a pretty well well put together room. Yeah. So I think what Stevenson is is showing us he's this foreshadows in many respects the revelations of chapter nine and ten. Okay. Because it breaks down this opposition between Jekyll and Hyde. Mm. Hyde, who's seen this monster, suddenly actually when we go to his lodging, it becomes clear that that perhaps there's more to him than this. That's really interesting. And I think that is what students need to structure this essay around, is the idea that in the extract, what's interesting is we're writing an essay about place. And what we see straight away is an example of where the place doesn't quite match up with the person that we're associating it with. And I think what's crucial here as well is to talk about how actually by the end of the novel, it becomes clear that actually it, it... does because actually what this place really shows us what it foreshadows is it mirrors the structural point that ultimately Hyde is Jekyll right. he shares his memories and most disturbingly Spoiler he shares, he shares his that. tastes okay I think we're getting ahead of ourselves slightly I think that's a fantastic point that we will work our way up to but I think before we get there we need to move on from the extract where we've talked about this place that doesn't really make sense because what is there is so much nicer than the person who it's associated with and we might contrast the extract perhaps with the idea of it being him being a creature Exactly. And then you could even bring in the kind of language of the Karoo murder itself to set up that, um, what was that fantastic word you used, sir? It was how incongruous the the place seems. Wonderful. If you remember one word today, it is the word incongruous. So that brings us on to our second paragraph. And I think a really nice segue at this point would be moving from... Um, uh, exploring a place that doesn't seem to make sense in terms of who lives there to a place that completely matches the person who lives there. Yeah, so Jekyll lives in a house that's described as having a great air of wealth and comfort. A bit like your... (laughs) 
place. A bit like the Forster household. Yeah. It's described by Utterson as being the pleasantest room in London. Oh, it sounds lovely. It has, um, it has a comfortable hall. It's warmed after the fashion of a country house by a bright open fire and furnished with costly cabinets of oak. Can I pull you back to that fire imagery? Is that yeah, something think, we can do with that? I, mean, I think even before we get to the fire imagery, let's start with the obvious point. This is a place of luxury. Right. A place clearly associated with a respectable and wealthy man. Mm. Um, um, but then looking at this this imagery of fire here, the bright open fire, it seems a welcoming place, a place yeah. perhaps that is metaphorically warmed not only by the fire, but by Jekyll's presumed kindness. Exactly. You get the feeling whenever Jekyll's house is described during the good times by Utterson, it's this lovely place to visit. It's a place where he hosts people. It's a place where they drink wine and they have a good time together. And everything about the atmosphere, everything about the building itself seems to scream welcome, doesn't yeah, it? it it's emblematic to... of Jekyll's public persona. All right. Emblematic? It represents... Fantastic. So um, we see this also in the the description of the outside of the house. Stevenson describes how it wore a great air of wealth and comfort, though it were now plunged in darkness. Now I think I spy a literary device there. So the house is personified as as, as wearing wealth and comfort, um, as if it's somehow defined by these characteristics. Mm. And I think what's really crucial here is that for Utterson, the house seems to represent an escape from the darkness and fog of London. It's a place of welcome. So if I followed your argument... um, if I followed your argument correctly, we're set, our topic sentence for the first paragraph based on the extract would be something like... Oh, incongruous. Yeah, something like, um, initially, uh, starting with the extract, um, place is often presented in the novella as incongruous to the people who live there or is presented as contrasting those we expect to live there. We could go even more precise than that. We could say, specifically, looking at the description of of Hyde's house in Soho. Yeah. It seems entirely incongruous with our conception of his character. Brilliant. And then moving on to that second paragraph, that second big paragraph, we would then say something like, by way of contrast, Dr. Jekyll's house seems to perfectly match the character and the values of the person who owns it. Or, or, or the, 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 the values that the person who, the, the values that we assume belong to the person who owns it. Right. By the end of the novel, we, we, that dyad is broken down. Yes, that's a key distinction to make. Yeah, absolutely. But this, I suppose, is when the essay gets kind of really interesting, right? Yeah, so I think the obvious place to move to now is to look at how um, Jekyll's cabinet, his laboratory at the back of his house, explains, perhaps, um, the incongruous setting that we looked at at the start. So just to be completely clear on that, because my, my students have struggled with this in the past, they've got to imagine the front of the house is where Jekyll actually lives, yeah. where he has his dinner and house stuff. But there's a passage through the back. Yeah, through his garden mm-hmm. into a laboratory. And that laboratory has a separate entrance, a separate door onto an alleyway, a right. dark, dingy place that we're introduced to in chapter one. So they're separate buildings, but connected would be a good way of looking Very at it. Very good. And obviously what we're going to look at in this paragraph is how the two parts of Jekyll's house come to metaphorically represent yeah. the two parts of his personality. Because in this third paragraph, what we're going to say now, of course, is we're now going to say, well... We may have thought in paragraph two that Jekyll perfectly matches his living quarters. But when you look deeper, when you explore deeper into those living quarters in the same way, when you explore deeper into the man himself, you find something very different. Yeah, I think one thing to state before we get into any analysis is a bit of an AO3 point. The hidden room is a common idea that appears again and again in Gothic fiction. Right, it's useful. Um, So, for example, in the picture of Dorian Gray written a a few years after this novel, um, there's a hidden room in which the protagonist hides his secrets away. Ah. This painting that explains his life and I said there's certainly um, the idea of the association between place and person is not something that would come as a surprise to Victorian readers I see and I think that for therefore the description of the cabinet the laboratory in many ways explains Hyde's character so it's described as being a certain sinister block of a bil- 
building is described as having bore in every feature the marks of profound and sordid negligence. Mm-hmm. It has three dusty windows barred with iron. Now that's quite interesting. Why would the wind? Why the the, the descriptive uh, word barred there? Yeah, I mean, it immediately has this connotation of it being prison-like. Okay, and certainly the idea of it um, uh, of the sordid negligence. It seems decaying. It seems so different from the warm and uh, in, and inviting home that Jekyll lives in. I would also encourage students to hone in on the word sinister there because I think sinister has real connotations of intention. I think for a building to be sinister is quite interesting because what we normally associate with sinister is someone having sinister intentions towards you. So the fact that there's almost this personification of the building itself is an interesting way of looking at how it reflects Hyde and this is his domain, this is his area. Definitely. And I think going on with a few other quotations from here, it's described as being gaunt and silent. Mm-hmm. The table is laden with chemical apparatus. The floor is strewn with crates. Um, it's a place that is not inviting, a place that's alien, a place defined by its, by, by its scientific instruments. Mm. Um, and even the door... Uh, is quite quite interesting. The door has neither bell nor knocker. Now that's interesting, isn't it? So metaphorically speaking, the door itself is, is uninviting. Right, it's not a door that you go and visit, of course. And as it turns out, this is the door that is only ever used by Hyde as he's accessing this part of the house and is the door that leads to the beginning of the whole mystery. And like the, like the whole building, the, the door is blistered and disdained, so mm. that seems to echo the, the disfigurement of Hyde, Hyde, Hyde himself. Right, so what... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we've got quite a nice essay coming together here. So we're going to start off, as I said, with this idea that looking at Hyde's house in Soho, we're perhaps slightly surprised as the reader to see an environment that doesn't match what we know of the man. Moving on to Jekyll's house, we then see an example of where place is perfectly matched with character. Or at least it matches the public persona of the, the character. The public persona of the character, absolutely. So not the, the what we eventually come to find out, but what we think we know of Jekyll. But then moving into paragraph three, we've got all this language that you've just been through, the sinister block of building, uh, the profound and sordid negligence, three dusty windows barred with iron, then all this scientific vocabulary, all of this telling us about the much more malevolent, the much more dangerous nature of Hyde. Definitely. And I think this is where we could perhaps bring in a little bit more AO3. We mm. could pick out... I love in your AO3 I, I think today, it's so. I think it's really useful, particularly for um, Stevenson's novella here. Right. Because actually, we could see, uh, if we do a Freudian reading of this novel, so looking at in the light of the theories of Freud, yeah. we could see the room almost as a representation of um, Jekyll's repressed desires. Okay. His hidden, the hidden parts of his mind that he doesn't want to show to the public. Exactly. So he's forced, in a sense, to hide these things away to squash them down and that in a sense is why I think we said this last week on the pod that's why they're so exciting to him the forbidden nature of these desires makes them all the more attractive to him so to sum up Freud's ideas that was essentially where you had three parts to your mind yes yeah I mean, I, I mean I'm actually kind of keeping it slightly simple here rather than talking about the theory of the ego and the id which okay. we talked a bit about last week actually just simply to zoom in on the point that actually in late Victorian society even before Freud mm. when Stevenson was writing there was a huge interest in the idea of repression yeah and repression is the idea there's certain desires certain um, certain wants that people have that they push down they suppress mm. because they're deemed not healthy unacceptable, or so unacceptable by society. By society. Mm. So actually we could simply see this, this hidden room as a symbol of those repressed feelings, those, the, the aspects of your personality perhaps that you don't want society to see. I think the metaphor of letting off steam is something I've used to teach this before and it's particularly pertinent. If you imagine a sort of steam engine there on an old-fashioned train getting incredibly full of steam, the pressure building 
then the idea being, of course, that if you let off a little bit of that steam, everything stays okay. If you don't let any steam out of the engine, eventually you explode. And I think this was the Victorian thing, wasn't it? That if you human beings perhaps inherently, perhaps sort of automatically have some desires which are a bit a bit, uh, a bit wrong, a bit de- deemed by society not to be perfect. And if you don't let off a little bit of that steam, then... They're hidden away. They don't disappear. I think the, the way you write that in an essay is, it's, is this hidden room seems to reflect the idea that just because society just deems certain desires unacceptable doesn't mean that they disappear. They simply become hidden. Right. And in a way, that's more disturbing because we can't see them. Yeah. And links back to those ideas that you had last week about the idea of um, that what they really hated about Hyde was that he wasn't this other. He wasn't an alien thing. Yeah. It was something that we all and I think inside. I think we can repeat that point in this essay again, that actually, mm. unlike early Gothic novels, like, um, like The Castle of Otranto or The Monk, evil is not, in this novel, found in a foreign land. No. The place in which we find evil is attached to the house of the most respectable professions, a doctor. Mm, horrible. Horrible. Terrifying stuff. So that really gives us, I think, the general overview of the essay. I think that works really well as a three-paragraph model. Uh, moving on towards stretch and challenge, we should really uh, we should get a jingle for that. So you should bring in your trombone and just sort of play, uh, play us into that section, I think, next week. Nice. Moving into stretch and challenge, how, how are you developing this essay in a more complex direction? Yeah, I mean, because... You could actually, if you really wanted a bit of a challenge, compress those last two paragraphs together, leaving you space for one final section, perhaps looking at London. Oh, yeah. Because, of course, the, the, this novel is set in London. Stevenson was from Edinburgh, but he chose deliberately to set it in London. And throughout the novel, it's the dark terror of this city. It's fogs, it's darkness, it's seedy by streets mm. that gives this nightmarish sense to, that pervades every aspect. Everything that happens seems disturbing. It does, doesn't it? And there's the, the weather plays a great role in that, would yeah. you say? We could talk about the pathetic fallacy, the idea that the fog and the darkness seems to reflect the fog and the darkness that surrounds Hyde and the other criminal uh, activities that remain in the back in the background of this novel. There's a fantastic part when it uh, whether it's I think it might be straight after the uh, Carew murder case. Forgive me if that's wrong, but um, when the the light and the fog are literally doing battle, the fog is described as this great brown pole, but these shafts of light are trying. And what you get is even in the weather, you get a representation the of the battle of... between yeah, exactly between the Jekyll and his his darker self Hyde. And I think you could. You could read weather as place. Uh, sorry, you could read weather as part of place. I think in that analysis. it's certainly part of the setting of London. I yeah, think, I, th- I think another example we might want to look at for describing London is when Utterson dreams of the city. He dreams. He dreams of it as a labyrinth. This is after his encounter with Hyde. Right. And this is an allusion to the story of the Minotaur from Greek mm. mythology. And the Minotaur was, was trapped in a maze. So the idea of London as this maze, wherein some kind of beast is hidden is an obvious metaphor isn't mm. it for the, the monstrous desires of victorian society hiding not away in some foreign land but right in the city the capital the, yeah the biggest city of the world and it's it plays into those victorian ideas of what they thought london was versus what london really was right there, there was a, in the same way as jekyll presented one face but had a darker side london imagined itself to be one thing it imagined itself to be the greatest city in the world but then of course you had your areas like soho where there was all this terrible stuff going on but of course the, the ultimate irony is that Hyde is not hiding in the shadows of the city but in the brightness of jekyll's house right what do that, you mean by that so 
Hyde is hiding within Jekyll himself. And there's a brilliant line which encapsulates this, a metaphor. He says in chapter 10 that um, Hyde was indifferent to Jekyll, or but remembered him as the mountain bandit, remembers the cavern in which he conceals himself from pursuit. Mm. So ultimately, the place in which Hyde conceals himself is within the most respectable class, a doctor. Something that, of course, I think is quite interesting given the context of um, Dr. Knox and um, Birkenhead that we talked about last week, the respectable doctor paying murderers to provide dead bodies for him to operate on. Yes. And it, but the suggestion here is, of course, that um, what's most disturbing about place in this novella is that the place where we find evil is not where we expect it. Right. I think that's a fantastic point to end on, sir. What do you think? I, I agree. Happy. We're, right, well, thank you very much for joining us for another episode. We're always terrified when we record these things because we don't actually know how to edit anything. So we just have to record and keep talking and hope that everything goes okay. Um, in terms of getting getting stuff in for the email, that is englishrevisionpod at gmail.com. Please let us know. We're very, very happy to record on whatever subjects you are um, wanting to look at. Um, apart from that, I hope you have a fantastic week and we will see you next time on GCSE Revision Pod. Goodbye.